wondered how taboo, shame, and lack of good sexual education have stripped away elements of pleasure in childbirth and parenting that are essential to loving, intimate relationships? Join me for another episode of Orgasmic Birth Podcast, Pleasure in Pregnancy, Birth, and Parenting, as we break down and heal barriers and open the door to more love and intimacy in birth and life. Birth is transformative for women and all birthing people. Birth impacts how you feel about yourself, your body, your relationship, and how your postpartum and journey into motherhood and parenthood begins. Hi, I'm Deborah Pascali-Bonaro, founder and director of Orgasmic Birth and host of the Orgasmic Birth podcast. Today, we're joined by a really special dear friend, colleague, and an original Orgasmic Birth alumni, Piper Lovemore. Since birthing her first child in our documentary, she's gone on to welcome six more children at home via empowered, stubborn, and intuitive free births. Inspired by the concept of birth as a catalyst for personal growth and transformation, she has pursued a passion-driven career in the birth arts and supported hundreds of families as a birth educator, doula, and midwife. Welcome, Piper. It is such a pleasure to have you here with us today and to share your love more paradigm of the transformative power of birth and more. Welcome. Thank you so much, Deborah. It's such a thrill to be here with you and your fabulous company once again. So much has happened since your birth of Che all those years ago that you shared in our documentary. And as we said in your intro, and like my whole body tingles when I like say it, that you've given birth to six more children and you've been on such a journey yourself with birth and so many transformational aspects. Can you share some of your feelings and stories from your births and where this has taken you? Absolutely. I can say unequivocally that giving birth has been the most transformative and empowering aspect of my adult experience. And each experience has been so unique. You know, I've I've shared this with many of the moms of the families that I've worked with, that each child really births the mother that it needs to raise it. And so I learned with just as soon as our second birth that we thought, you know, we had a wonderful experience with you, a wonderful experience birthing Che, and kind of approached our second birth thinking that we had some things figured out. And then when she was coming forth, it was a completely different experience that I had had with my first baby. And I realized in retrospect how she had pulled forward different aspects of my personality, taught me different lessons via the introspection of the birthing process that she needed for me to embody in order to show up to the task of being her mother. And since then, I've experienced that five more times, and each time is so transformative. It's interesting because the experiences have built upon one another. I think that I have grown in my faith in the birth process and my trust in my body's innate abilities. But there are still aspects of ourselves that are buried, that have yet to be sort of pulled into alignment with our conscious mind, that they have a wonderful way of pulling out. And so 
one of the things that has been such a gift for me throughout this process of not only birthing my children, but assisting numerous families in their journeys as well, is really being fascinated by the wisdom that these new people bring to the planet. I mean, they are just such whole and vibrant beings when they arrive here. And so one of the things that has really informed my passion is just trying to create and protect a space where we really can honor the intuition that they bring into the equation. I think that so much of the conversation around birth tends to focus and center on adult anxieties and medical management. And there's so few people or resources that I find that speak to the the nature of these tiny people's wisdom and the fact that they come here with a very clear sort of directive of even how to exit the body, right? And begin their life anew. And it is just such a fascinating process to observe. And I think that I've become more and more attuned to and keen on observing um, the ways that that little seed of wisdom presents in such a tiny package. And each time I learn something new, I'm getting chicken skin just thinking about it. Each time I'm just absolutely awestricken, awestruck by what I'm able to learn from them and by how clear they can be coming through. So I really have felt very privileged and grateful to be able to hold the type of space where they are able to just move through their alignment unfettered. I love how you say that too, right? That each child, each being, right, does bring so much. And you're so right, right? We often get so focused on ourselves in the process. And like you say, our fears. I even remember like forgetting I was birthing a baby at one point in labor because that's not what the paradigm was kind of having me really acknowledge them and this co-mingling and journey. But I love all that wisdom that you learn and that you acknowledge we all learn from our children. Yes, so indeed. You've gone on to kind of be involved in birth in so many other ways. Can you talk more about that and what kind of motivated you to become a midwife, doula, an educator yourself? Certainly. I, again, had a lot of privilege. I had I connected with amazing Lawaz instructors when I was preparing for Chase Birth. They facilitated our meeting as well. And so I came into, well, I should say pri prior to that, even my family had a very positive birth culture. I myself was delivered with midwives at a maternity center. And so even from my young age and my childhood, I had been um, made aware of and indoctrinated into this sort of worldview that birth was not something to fear, but rather could be a very empowering journey. So I think that I also was seeking the type of support that I was happy to find in you and in my Lamaze instructors that really affirmed that type of viewpoint. But it also served in contrast to the maternity care that I was receiving prior to hooking up with my wonderful midwife team. I was in a public clinic situation as a student at the time, and I was really struck by how little that model seemed to align with my own inner beliefs around the birth process. And I remember being in the lobbies and waiting for, you know, for my appointment to come up and looking at the faces around me that seemed to be having a very different experience than I was, you know, very, a lot of disempowerment, a lot of shame. And so that really inspired me. I, in that space, I already knew that I was destined for a midwife practice, that I was just biding my time until I could get to the team that I knew would, would support me ultimately. But I never 
forgot those people in those spaces. I never was able to completely relinquish this notion that there were other women who were preparing to birth in a space that just was not conducive to what I felt like was a really miraculous occurrence. And so that inspired me to begin educating, to learn more and try to share um, some of the joy and some of the empowerment, because I felt like, you know, beyond material items, it really is just a celebration and a ceremony. And we have continued to embrace our births in our family that way as a, cere a ceremony and a celebration and very low on material trappings, though I think that that is very often what we are fed is the appropriate way to to prepare. So I just wanted to be able to reach in and share some of my joy and lend that space to other people who may be experiencing stress and not seeing a lot of positivity reflected around them. And that just sort of one thing led to another. Orgasmic birth is definitely a gateway drug if you're curious. <laughs> so I love that. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. That pinnacle shot of oxytocin, there's nothing that compares it. The best that you can do is try to invite your friends into the poll. And so after becoming an educator, I felt as though I wanted to expand my practice into doula work. And you, of course, have been such a wonderful mentor in that way, seeing how you were able to reach into the space and how comforted I felt by bringing your knowledge and your um, viewpoint into the space with me um, made me think that I wanted to be able to reach beyond just the teaching aspect. And then that sort of flowed right into the midwifery work. I moved to Hawaii and after my second birth and was hoping to link up with a home birth midwife just to be able to offer my doula services. But she was a wonderful teacher and mentor, a naturopathic doctor, and quickly sort of helped to elevate me to the, to the space of being a birth support person. And then eventually, as is the case with traditional midwifery, my community called me forward. You know, I was sort of knighted or crowned in the title by people who wanted to have me see them all the way through the process. And so it was a very organic flow, you know, and things to sort of crescendo, found and followed a natural path towards crescendo and at this point, I've done so many other sort of related birthy things as well, lactation counseling, and even all the way to wet nursing periodically, doing a lot of postpartum support, which is a real focus of mine right now. And so all things birth, really. I think that it's challenging to isolate any one mode of service because when you are aligned with the process in this way, you really just want to serve birthing families. And that oftentimes just means filling whatever gaps are present. And so I've been grateful to be able to do that in a very um, community-centered way. So beautiful to hear the flow that you've created. And I know in talking, right, you talk about that transformative power of birth, but also and the need to acknowledge that there are such disparities and there is such a history of obstetrical violence, especially for Black and Brown and Indigenous people. Can you talk about some of that and some of the healing that's available in that transformative power? Absolutely. This is where my passion really fires up because um, my experiences personally have just been so different than what the statistics say. And, un and unfortunately, I have many sisters, friends, and family who have really been abused by the system. And so I understand really the level of intervention that is necessary and, and how 
deep the reorientation must go to shift the paradigm. So as you mentioned, I had the privilege of giving birth six more times following or our orgasmic birth, documented birth. And each of them were intuitive and unassisted at home. And it's interesting, after our orgasmic birth project, I was actually invited to speak on unassisted birth a number of times. And at that point, declined to comment out of deference for the orgasmic birth project, because consider this was about 14 years ago. And so the conversation around birth and options and even disparities in maternal health really was not there where it is now at that point. And so I was concerned that conversing around free birth and sovereign birth was, because it was still so heavily maligned as radical and irresponsible, would sort of dilute the message that we were trying to get across as orgasmic birth, which was just women take back, women of earth take back your birth, as Lani says, and just access your agency and your empowerment. And so though these things, these these feelings and awarenesses were sort of percolating inside of me. And I felt like it was necessary to temper the message a bit to fit the zeitgeist of the time. There just weren't podcasts and forums there, you know, available at the time. There were really only two books that I could even find that spoke to an assisted birthing by Laura Shanley and Lynn Griesmer, which were wonderful books, mostly philosophical books, not necessarily like practical preparation materials, but still very useful for me. And so because in that time frame, I felt the need to, to sort of shield myself from external criticism and doubt as I embarked upon something that was not, that there just was not a lot of open conversation around. I also had some threat, some concern about the threat of intervention because there were reports of people sort of coming and sending authorities to intervene in this type of irresponsible behavior. So reaching beyond the limited resources available at the time, I gleaned a lot of what informed my process from anthropological texts, from books that were documenting sort of pre-colonial birth practices and, and anthologies of enslaved people. Because I knew at that point that there was a time that was not far in the history of our experience where people really op more openly disregarded the well-being of Black women. And so I knew that there were spaces where we were subject to birth and where the outcome was sort of openly not significant beyond protecting property. And I kind of, it's interesting that you named your series Pain to Power, because for me, that was a real process of transmuting the pain of a, of a very troublesome history for, for my ancestors into the type of power that would see me through my process. I felt empowered by the notion that despite having lived in squalorous conditions and the open disregard for the well-being, for the well-being of mother and baby, my ancestors were able to care for themselves and one another effectively enough for me to be here right now. And so I thought, you know, this, this told me beyond a shadow of a doubt that number one, birth works. And that number two, I and my family really have the most vested interest in my own health and that of my child. So once I understood sort of the troublesome origins of obstetrics and the fact that the practice in and of itself was cultivated in a, in a white supremacist patriarchal paradigm embodied by Marion Sims, it became less of a leap to recenter my faith in myself to reclaim my power and to reclaim my access to the innate abilities that I was born with to see this process through. And so I wanted to, to shift the focus from Marion Sims to Anarka and Lucy and Betsy, the women who he practiced on, you know, who were able to endure this 
horrible conditions with no with no anesthetics and things like that. So it made me think, you know, this notion of like epidural or non-epidural, for instance, which is so popular in the debate. I thought if we can just move beyond that and think about the fact that people were able to survive much more horrid circumstances and still live, that just was a very, it's a, it sounds almost macabre. It's definitely very low common denominator, but it was really empowering for me because I thought, you know, Beyond that, there were women in those spaces who knew herbs. There were people who were surreptitiously cultivating, you know, dietary supplements that would allow them to um, nurture a healthy babe despite being, you know, reduced to eating the off-cast foods and things like that. And there were practices that we carried forward to assist in our postpartum recovery when we were really expected to sort of be right back performing a lot of arduous labor so quickly after giving birth in a kind of malnutritious way. And so it really just inspired me to look more deeply into whatever I could find. I would, I would find a lot of references to herbs without any specifics or, you know, references to practices that were really kind of fragmented, having been chronicled by anthropologists, largely not of the community. But it was just enough threads to, to sort of create a channel for me to also hear my ancestors speaking to me through my intuition in that way. And then I would glean a little bit from aunties and from my grandmothers and, you know, who also had their own challenges to contend with, even in their, in the more modern iterations of birth that were available when they were birthing. But still, there was this continuous thread of faith in our bodies and in communal support, community support on whatever level that it came from. And so to me, that really empowered and informed my practice. It became a no-brainer for me to choose to reclaim the power over my own birth. I thought, well, here's a system that is clearly doing more harm than good, and, and often, at least for women of my demographic. And so I, it wasn't hard for me to divest from that, especially given the proof that I had seen for our abilities, for our resilience. And then shifting more power also into the community from that space, sort of funneling it through our family and then realizing the more that we pushed it out and were able to build up that type of awareness in our surrounding community, the more support we experienced and the more we were able to undergird that sense of faith in our extended community. And so it's really been an amazing experience of reclamation for me personally and for my family to see my children and now peers from their generation have a very different opinion and expectation around birth is just a wonderful thing. And it it sort of makes sense to me on an ancestral level as well, this idea of making something out of nothing or very little. And, you know, for birth, you just don't need much. <laughs> we come, we're basically born with all that we need besides a little bit of faith and a little bit of support and, you know, some wisdom that may have percolated in a generation above yours that can be accessed. And so that's been the, the process of transmuting really painful circumstances into something that is more empowering for our family. What a, a beautiful journey to hear that pain kind of to purpose and to power. And and I don't know, as you were talking, I was saying, Piper, I'm hearing a book in here because it sounds so much like, you know, you were able to draw that wisdom and that knowledge from ancestors in so many places. But I, I know we don't have time, but I want to ask you like every detail. So I hope you're writing this all down. 
Yes, I've been in that space, actually, Deborah. I'm, you know, I've been doing this work for, well, for 15 years. And it's been, I've been through various seasons. You know, I've also been on call for over a decade and birthing and tandem breastfeeding the whole time. And so I'm in a different season now following the pandemic of trying to, to soothe my adrenal system. <laughs> in some yep. way. Important. Yeah, it is. It's important to sort of reclaim some of that space as well. And it's been interesting. That was a, a really challenging adjustment for me initially, because I think that when you are used to being on call for so long, you stand poised to to show up and offer support at the drop of a hat. And we really do strengthen those muscles that are poised to spring and the resources that we know we need to be able to offer with a quick with a quick hand. And there are definitely different insights that that slide in when we have a have a more um, relaxed and receptive comportment. And so the book is starting to sort of filter in as I've been in a more still space. I'm starting to see this sort of long arc, some of the insights that I've gleaned. And I definitely, sorry, I'm not sure what happened there. I got another call coming in and I think it muted me. Um, yeah, you're, so, you're back. Okay, so I was just saying that I, I feel as though I've been able to really consolidate some of the lessons that I've received and reflect on them in a different way. And I'm interested in and putting some of this out. So this is what the Love More paradigm is about as well. Um, what, I'm, what I'm really emphasizing in that space right now, a project that I'm working on is a curriculum for postpartum care, because there are so many fragments in the birth conversation right now, which I think is wonderful. We deserve a cornucopia of options for birthing people. But they're, you know, often the conversation hinges on who you'd like to assist you and where you would like to be. And again, so much emphasis on the birth process, because I think that that just feels like a very daunting notion for birthing people. But one thing that I know is that for sure is that regardless of how you birth or with whom, everyone will arrive at the postpartum space. <laughs> and postpartum That's for sure. <laughs> yes. And it's very similar for everyone, regardless of how you sort of arrived there. You find yourself with these long hours with you and your new person and your new body and trying to just sort of integrate your experience. And so I feel as though that's a really empowering place to put emphasis. And I think that a lot of people are able, perhaps in that space, to better access their agency because there's not a lot of intervention, right? At that period of time, people are kind of left to their own devices to some extent, to a large extent. And so I'm really interested in breathing some life into that space and in creating conversation that whereby people can access the healing that they may need or the sort of psychic and intuitive upgrades that are available to them, having gone through this amazing portal. Um, I'm really interested in, in breathing more life into that aspect of the conversation. And I think that it will trickle back. It will inform future births. It will also inform the births of people's sort of peers who have yet to arrive at that place. And it allows me to also integrate a lot of what I've learned about ancestral practice and intuitive insight and community-based caregiving and returning the power to the family as well. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that too. It's so important. Post, I share postpartum as a passion as well. And I have to just like quote, you wrote something that I love. 
from time to time since before you had children, your partner, and you have been diligent about nurturing your couple presence, patience, and a sense of playful curiosity. We've made a ritual of observing and protecting regular opportunities to undivide our attention and check in with one another. We have grown intimately familiar with one another's emotional weather patterns and do our best to support and stimulate one another toward a sense of security and freedom to grow. So I know that like goes into that postpartum. Can you talk a little bit more about that and the importance of that? Absolutely. I I am really privileged and very grateful to have such a wonderful support person in my life. Taz has been with me since the very beginning. As you saw, he was right there at gastric birth and has been so keen to be present. She had a birth experience prior to our son being born. He has, we have, I have an older bonus son. So Chaz came into that experience with a, with a, a clear motivation to be present and some sense of the the wonder of the moment and so i'm grateful for that that kind of came preloaded already in him <laughs> and i like that i think that we both were aware of the influence of a lot of social factors right you know when you're pregnant you start to see ads everywhere there's like a, a spidey sense that develops and suddenly pregnant people are everywhere and every ad on television is trying to sell you something to improve your experience or to help you feel as though you are an established parent in some sort of way and we have always been aware of and slightly skeptical of those type of influences coming on so heavy-handed because we in our own process have sort of chosen to really center our truths together and um, uplift what we share as our beliefs over what we are sort of told we should expect to be the most central aspect, just understanding that ultimately our choices are ours to make and our repercussions and results are also ours to bear. And so I think a little bit of discernment early on helped us to really refocus. And then we were, you know, we found ourselves in the throes of our postpartum space and I, again, I was a student, Chaz was working, so we sort of had off schedules, you know, he'd have the baby while I was at school, and then we would trade off when we came home, and we would share notes in between time. And so it became a really beautiful practice to be transparent with one another, to be able to observe one another's capacity and varying levels of capacity on different days, and just attempt, strive to be a soft space for one another and, and maintain a soft space to then integrate the consciousness of our new baby into that space. And I, we realized early on and that sometimes meant doing things different than the way that they were suggested that we would do them or the way that it was assumed that we would do them. We definitely had our share of sort of skeptical looks and comments from, from our support system early on until, until we grew to the place where we were able to sort of shift the flow of that energy and project out and say, this is how we do things and we would like for you to join us in this space here, you know? And so that is, it's really much simpler than like luxurious date nights and that kind of thing. It's kind of funny because now we also have a lot of conversation around self-care. And I think that often it's sort of presented as like bubble baths and candles when really sometimes it's just about stretching and drinking enough water or it can very often be much simpler than it seems than the gimmick. And so in terms of maintaining space for our couple, it's really just about checking in most often. We can spend all day together with our kids at the beach, for instance, 
and still on the way home in the car will say, how was your day? Because I was sitting here right next to you and I can assume how it felt based on my observation, or I can check in with you and see how it felt for you. Did something come up for you that you were sort of struggling or striving to keep in balance so that you could stay present? Were there things that were taking you out of your experience of presence in the moment? How can we show up better for one another tomorrow? Or how can we duplicate the energies that made today positive for us? And so that is a very, I think that it really removed the burden of having to sort of assume to know what one another were thinking and instead just avail ourselves of like the prime resource, you know, in the moment. And that process, that practice has been very simple, but it has served us really well and it has blossomed into other areas. And it is really cultivated within our family now a very clear communication dynamic so that we're also able to do that with our children, having modeled this sense of not assuming to know but being eager to understand one another. And we also can speak openly with our kids and they will weigh in on us. You know, if we sometimes are missing some detail, they'll say, you know, mom, I think dad just is probably a little bit tired. He did this and this and this, and I haven't seen him rest. You know, why don't we just go and do this over here with the little ones and give him a moment to catch up or things like that, you know, suggesting that we bring each other our food or drink. When's the last time mom ate something? Dad will say, go take her a snack while she's in her office or office doing her work. And so I think that it is really a very simple, it amounts to very simple gestures. And the most important aspect is really just the pure intention. And it has served us really well so far. And I definitely think the last thing I'll say about that, because I know it could go on forever, Deborah. Yes, it could. <laughs> It is uh, that that, cer- that sense has certainly been heightened in the postpartum space as well. You are more likely to encounter sort of adjacent issues, things like hunger and fatigue and impatience. You know, when you're the postpartum person, sometimes it's challenging to submit and allow yourself to be served when you feel well enough to jump up and do it yourself. And sometimes as a support person, it can feel, you know, it can feel put upon. Like I too have not been sleeping my rhythm, my rhythm is also a little bit disjointed and that needs now care for you. And so having, the, having established that channel of communication early allowed us to be authentic and present, even in the spaces that are a little bit more challenging to navigate. And we can hold space for one another. Yes, I really would like for you to bring me that glass of water. But you know what? If it takes you a little bit longer because you needed five extra minutes in the bathroom to just like woo-saw for the day, I have patience for that. I can extend some bandwidth for that. So I think it just allows us to really see one another as whole individuals and remain invested in our mutual upliftment together. So beautiful, Piper. You've given us so many nuggets from preparing to birth to really connecting to our ancestors and so much wisdom that we have to look at in the history of racism and obstetric violence and and really bringing that pain to purpose and power. But I know we're coming to the end of our session and I'm sure, just like me, like I can't wait for your book and more people are saying, how can they reach you? What's the best way that people can get in touch with you, follow you? So you can follow, you can check in with us on our website, which is lovemoreparadigm.com. And I'm also on Instagram as the Grand Multipiper. Actually, not no, the, just Grand Multipiper, which for you birth nerds is a play on words. I've reached Grand Multipara status. <laughs> I was eager to be able to emphasize that when I finally earned it. 
And I'm just sort of getting a foray into TikTok. So for our Love More Paradigm imprint, we have a TikTok page called Super Black Sex Talk, which is a play on a on a, a little tidbit from a show that I really love called Random Acts of Flyness that had an episode called Share Your Thoughts on Raising Free Black Children. And we can definitely talk about that sometime in the future. As I mentioned, orgasmic birth is a gateway drug, but we've certainly embraced some fairly radical practices in raising our children as well. And so um, I wanted to be able to highlight that. So TikTok is super black sex talk. Instagram is grand multi-piper and our website is lovemoreparadigm.com. Thank you so much, Piper. I know everyone that's listening is going to look forward to finding you and following you. And we have to say, right, in the future, we're going to have your wonderful partner, Chaz, joining us so that people can meet him and hear his wisdom and all that this journey has been like. So I thank everyone who's been with us today. We hope that you will like and rate our podcast, join us for more, and Thank you again, Piper. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for listening to the Orgasmic Birth Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about pleasure in birth parenting and birth work, visit orgasmicbirth.com forward slash more for my free gifts. And please leave a review about your experience. Reviews help us to reach more people and please subscribe. Mm -hmm.